Specialty Story, session number 188. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week, where I get to have amazing conversations with physicians about their specialty. This week, I'm talking to Dr. Bryce Binstadt, a pediatric rheumatologist, and we're going to talk all about pediatric rheumatology, what he likes about it, what he doesn't like about it, what got him into it, and so much more. Dr. Binstadt is also the Pediatric Rheumatology Fellowship Director, we're going to talk a little bit about what it's like to apply to those programs. What's he looking for? We start the conversation by talking about how Dr. Binstadt first became interested in pediatric rheumatology. I decided during my fourth year of medical school, which was actually, I was in a combined MD-PhD program, so it was year seven uh, for me. But my final year of medical school, I did uh, an away rotation uh, at a different institution and uh, in pediatric rheumatology and just uh, fell in love with it. Um, my PhD was in immunology, so I knew I was sort of interested in the science behind rheumatology. Uh, and then I learned that the, the patients had these fascinating diseases and uh, that I got to have long-term relationships with the patients. And it was, it was just a great fit. It was interesting that your your research kind of played into the specialty. How often have you seen it just kind of anecdotally that the the research that MD-PhD students are doing or, or now even DO-PhD students are doing, mm-hmm. that the specialty they end up kind of falling for had nothing to do with their research? Uh, that happens uh, relatively often, I would say. So I, I also am involved in the MD-PhD program. Uh, here at the University of Minnesota, so I interact with a lot of students, and I would say around half the time their their research does sort of lead naturally into the specialty that they choose clinically. But the other half, not necessarily. And we get some uh, some curveballs, and people just uh, sort of follow their heart in terms of choosing their clinical specialty. Mm, yeah, it's, it's really the you know the they they may still continue to do research, and it's the the training and uh, how to do research that uh, is most important. Yeah. Uh, Makes sense. What are some of the biggest myths or misconceptions around pediatric pediatric rheumatology that you're constantly battling among residents and medical (laughs) students? Uh, Myths or myths? That's a good question. Um, I I think uh, I think many people feel that the diseases that we take care of are rare, uh, and that's not necessarily true. Uh, So juvenile arthritis is, is relatively common, uh, more common than type 1 diabetes, for instance. Uh, and so the, the patients are out there. Many of them are doing so well that you can't tell that they have arthritis uh, these days. Uh, and, and so it, um, uh, but I, I think people think of rheumatology and think of these sort of obscure diseases, particularly in childhood. Uh, and that's not the case at all. We, we take care of many diseases that have, uh, where there, there are plenty of patients out there. What are some of the the traits do you think lead to someone being a good pediatric rheumatologist? Well, I, I think rheumatology in general, whether it's pediatric or adult, uh, you know, we, we take care of patients who have multi system disease, and so I think you people who are interested in 
multiple organ systems tend to gravitate toward rheumatology. Um, we, you need to be quite attentive to detail, uh, both in terms of history taking and exam. Some, some of the findings are subtle. Uh, and then uh, sort of be very thoughtful about the laboratory approach to evaluating patients and differential diagnosis. Um, the, you know, we, we order tests that are unusual uh, to, to most uh, folks and other specialties. Um, and you, know, you sort of have to geek out about what those, what those tests are and what they mean. And uh, I love doing that, uh, mainly because of my background in immunology. But uh, it's that sort of combination of being interested in the whole patient and multiple organ systems, but also willing to, to dive deep uh, and uh, get into the nitty gritty of uh, disease pathogenesis and mechanism. What are the types of patients that you're treating? Uh, great question. We, you know, as a pediatrician, we take care of kids from from birth until basically until they uh, head off to college or join the workforce. Um, and so it's a, a the entire age range, uh, and it's patients with rheumatic diseases. I referred earlier to juvenile arthritis. That by far is the most prevalent disease uh, we see. Uh, but a host of other pediatric rheumatic diseases, juvenile dermatomyositis, uh, pediatric lupus, vasculitis, uh, uh, and then there's some particular uh, pediatric ones uh, that are not seen so commonly in adulthood. Uh, so Kawasaki disease is a, a type of vasculitis. Echinocturine line purpura affects many more children than it does adults. Um, more recently, the, there's genetic diseases called auto-inflammatory syndromes or periodic fever syndromes uh, that tend to present uh, in, in childhood. Uh, and that's sort of a, a niche area within pediatric rheumatology. Uh, so it's uh, the, the field has sort of divided the diseases into autoimmune, which are the classic juvenile arthritis, uh, lupus, dermatomyositis, and what we now call auto-inflammatory diseases that are more driven by the innate immune system and the, the periodic fever syndromes are in that category. So it's a, a wide range of diseases, mostly characterized by uh, inflammation. Rheumatology is uh, always the, I think, the butt of the joke on Dr. House. Um, <laughs> yes. What percentage of, of patients are coming to you with just obscure symptoms and you're trying to figure out what's going on versus they're already diagnosed and you're just there for, for treatment? Uh, well, I, I would say that a, a lot of most patients, so our, our practice is primarily outpatient. Uh, although we do see hospitalized patients, uh, and on the outpatient side, uh, most patients come to us with sort of vague symptoms or complaints. And the question for us is, do they have a rheumatic disease or not? Uh, and uh, the sort of hit rate for those that have a rheumatic disease is probably less than 25%. There are a variety of other sort of musculoskeletal disorders or pain syndromes that can lead patients or lead patients in their uh, referring physicians to think this might be a rheumatic disease. Uh, but, you know, it is, again, probably fewer than a quarter that end up having a rheumatic disease. Um, on the inpatient side, uh, the the hit rate is a, a little bit higher, I would say. Uh, you know, they're hospitalized patients. They tend to be sicker. Uh, and so there we end up finding rheumatic diseases uh, more commonly. Um, and then, but yeah, oftentimes we, uh, we're left just scratching our heads saying, oh yeah, I, I don't know exactly what's going on. Give it three months or six months and see if it, it becomes more obvious. Uh, and sometimes I think that, uh, 
patience and waiting is something that a rheumatologist has to be comfortable with. The, the disease may not be fully manifest when we first see them, and it's it's time that uh, helps us make the diagnosis. Yeah. What does a typical day look like for you? Well, for me, it's um, I, let me start with what it looks like for a typical clinical pediatric rheumatologist, uh, and so most pediatric rheumatologists, essentially all pediatric rheumatologists practice at academic centers. Uh, there are very few in, in private practice. Uh, and um, so for my purely clinical colleagues, a typical day is spent in clinic seeing uh, outpatients, uh, probably six to eight outpatients in a half day, um, combination of uh, a smattering of new patients and many return patients. These are chronic diseases, so we follow the patients uh, over time. Um, and then, uh, you know, someone in our group is always covering the inpatient service. And so when, if it's your week to cover the inpatient service, you're doing that plus seeing your outpatients. Um, I personally have, uh, uh, less clinical time and have some time devoted to research and also to, uh, some administrative roles and education programs. So my, uh, I only have one or two half days of clinic per week and the rest of the time I'm doing research, uh, or, uh, in, involved in these administrative activities. That, 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 that's one of the things I like about it. Actually, I can, uh, you know, based on your uh, career interest, you, if you have um, an interest in being involved in research or being involved in uh, education or administration, you can craft your practice within academia and within academic pediatric rheumatology to, to do all of the things you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. For the student who potentially wants to use their hands for their specialty, how much procedure work is there in pediatric rheumatology? Uh, that has changed over time. So uh, 20 years ago, I would have said there's a lot. Uh, the, the main procedure that we do is uh, uh, injection of steroids into joints, so intraarticular steroid injections. Um, in the past, when we had fewer options for systemic therapy, joint injections were much more commonly done. Uh, but now with the advent of TNF inhibitors and other biologic medications that help us control the arthritis, uh, we, we do far fewer joint injections. So I, I probably only do one procedure a month, I would say, on average. Wow. Yeah. What does call look like for you? Call is... So I, I just finished a week of call, so I can I can tell you about <laughs> that. Um, it uh, I had to go into the hospital two days out of seven that I was on call to see a, a patient who was hospitalized for uh, just hospitalized for two nights and then was able to go home. Uh, so that was a, a relatively light week. Uh, I also dealt with a few uh, phone calls from outside physicians, one from an emergency department, uh, just to sort of talk through some patients, uh, and then a couple of calls from. Uh, patients and families at nighttime, uh, but did not take a, a whole lot of my time. Um, I've, there are other call weeks, though, where we have you know, one or two hospitalized, very sick patients who you know, may have a, a, a rheumatic disease that's flaring, and uh, they're in the intensive care unit needing aggressive immunosuppression, uh, and that, uh, that uh, takes more time. Uh, so it, it varies week to week, sort of depending on uh, how many hospitalized patients there are and how sick those patients are. Um, but I think compared, we, we don't have in-house call. It's all um, uh, call from home. Uh, so it's uh, relatively nice in that way. Do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of the hospital? For sure. Yeah. I, uh, I'm 
Uh, I'm married. I have two teenage daughters. Uh, they're involved in sports and music, and I have time to make it to their activities. Um, and uh, yeah, and time to take care of myself and exercise and whatnot. So I think it's definitely a, a specialty that lends itself toward good uh, work-life integration or balance or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. A period of of your uh, of your life that didn't uh, de- devote good good balance was was residency training. What does what does the path look like to become a pediatric rheumatologist? Right. So after after medical school, uh, general pediatrics residency uh, is the next step, um, uh, or med peds, of course, uh, and then that's followed by uh, subspecialty fellowship training. Uh, and that's a, a three-year fellowship for most people. Um, some people extend it to do more research, but the Board of Pediatrics requires three years of fellowship training. Um, and then after that, you're good to go. You can take the, the board exam for pediatric rheumatology and, and get yourself a job. So you, it's six, six years post-medical uh, school. Do you ever see any internal medicine trained, adult-trained people going into pediatric rheumatology? Is that possible at all? Uh, not if they're only trained in internal medicine, yeah. if they're jointly trained in med peds, then that certainly is a, a viable path. And, uh, uh I, I direct the fellowship program, uh, in my institution. And we have currently one trainee who uh, is pursuing, uh, uh, both pediatric and adult uh, fellowship training. Interesting. Um, and we've had uh, one in the past and there's a few around the country, uh, at other institutions. Uh, and it's, those providers, when they, uh, you know, when they, after they finish training are, are very well suited to take care of the patients who are transitioning from pediatric to adult care. So the, the late adolescent, early adult patients, and that's a, a time in life when a lot of patients fall through the cracks. Mm. Uh, and so having providers who, who do have the joint training is, uh, very helpful, uh, and they can really create a, a nice uh, clinical setup for those transitioning patients. As the program director for the fellowship there, what are you looking for in an applicant that, that helps them stand out to get an interview with you? Uh, so I, I fundamentally want to know why, or the first question you asked me, how did you become interested in pediatric rheumatology? Okay, I want to know what sort of pulls at their heartstrings about, uh, about the field. Why, why are they passionate about it? Why do they think that they are going to want to devote their entire career to it. Um, and for each person, it's a little bit different. You know, some, some people come at it like I did from the the sort of immunology research uh, angle and are fascinated by the uh, disease pathogenesis and the question of how does autoimmunity arise? Uh, Other patients or sorry, other uh, individuals are uh, much more focused on the patients and their diseases and uh, wanting to take care of kids who have chronic uh, treatable but not curable diseases, and you know, watch those children grow up from being, uh, you know, a, a two-year-old newly diagnosed with a rheumatic disease to a, a thriving, uh, healthy adolescent heading off to college. And it's a, uh, it's really rewarding to be involved in that patient's life over that, that entire time span and help them along the way. Uh, so it's a little bit different for each person. Um, Getting some experience with the field, I think, is crucial, and that's challenging at some medical schools where there are not pediatric rheumatologists. Uh, and so, if you think you might be interested, it's it's helpful to find an institution where you can uh, work with a pediatric rheumatologist and uh, get to know the field. Um, engagement in 
and the, the American College of Rheumatology is our national organization. They provide um, annual meetings that have special programs for students. Uh, and so if you think you might be interested, I, I would encourage students to look into that, looking look into those programs. Uh, and I, I think that's just one way to, to demonstrate interest to, the, um, uh, to a program director. Yeah. And that, that can happen when you're a student or when you're a resident in, in pediatrics. Yeah. Do you think that, I mean, typically non-procedure-based specialties aren't known as the highest paid specialties, then you add pediatrics onto it, <laughs> then it, then it lowers the compensation rate. Do you think True. that helps filter out potentially people applying to your specialty with, with less than great intentions? Well, that's, that is a, a challenging, interesting, <laughs> interestingly worded question. I, I think the, the field faces a, this is true not only of pediatric rheumatology, but other sort of what we call cognitive subspecialties within, within pediatrics where the compensation is not uh, what it is on the adult side or for the procedural uh, specialties. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I do think we lose good candidates because of that. Um, that doesn't mean that the, you know, the reason people are going into these other fields is that they want to make money though. I, I think it, uh, you know, people need to uh, make enough to support their families and, and live comfortably. Uh, so I, I understand uh, the decision. It's also a long training. You know, it's a, a three-year fellowship in pediatrics compared to a two-year fellowship on the adult side. Yeah. Uh, and so it becomes a little bit less attractive that way. You, your number of years you have to put in before you start earning uh, the, the sort of physician salary rather than the trainee salary is, is longer. So there, um, there's some challenges, structural challenges, I would say, to the field right now that we're, as a field, are trying to sort through to incentivize people to, to join the field. Mm. Um, I think the, the plus side of that is that the people who choose the field uh, of pediatric rheumatology do it because they love it. Yeah. You know, they're not motivated by the, the financial incentives. And yep. you know, I, I'm, I have to say, I'm living quite comfortably on, the, on what I make, even though it's lower than my adult colleagues make, and it's lower than the procedural specialists. But um, I have no complaints whatsoever because I love what I'm doing. Yeah. It's interesting that adult rheumatology is a year shorter than pediatric rheumatology. Are, are there discussions about making that the same in the pediatric world? Why, why is pediatrics three versus two? So that, that's across the board for pediatric subspecialties. And it, um, I, I think it has to do with the fact that most pediatric subspecialists are at academic centers uh, and are expected, therefore, to engage in research. Okay. Um, and so the additional year of training is really to get more research experience. On the adult side, it's quite easy to be a, a rheumatologist in community practice. There's a huge, you know, many, many more patients on the adult side for you know, bread and butter uh, rheumatology, rheumatoid arthritis and, and whatnot, yeah. osteoarthritis. Uh, and so those adult providers don't have to be tied to academic centers, uh, whereas the, the pediatric folks Tend to tend to be tied that way to academic centers and uh, need to develop a research portfolio, um, uh, or or some academic portfolio. It could be an education, um, but sort of uh, an additional skill set beyond the the clinical practice. Yeah, when you're working with fellows, when you're training them, what what stands out as as uh, someone who's good to train, good to work with as a fellow? Uh, I think good communication, uh, taking a uh, taking an interest in uh, the patients, good follow up. Uh, you know, we, we I think rheumatologists have this uh, 
reputation of sending a lot of tests. And sometimes that's true. Right? We send 20 tests and some of which may not come back for a month. Uh, and so you have to sort of uh, have someone who, uh, who you trust will follow up all of those test results that are hanging out. So they need to be trustworthy. Uh, teamwork is a big part of it. Uh, you know, we have, uh, because the patients have chronic disease, a patient may be hospitalized for four weeks and, uh, you know, alternate through, uh, different fellows and different attendings. And, uh, you want to know that the, the the people that you're handing the service off to are going to take good care of the patient. And so you want them to be, uh, clinically excellent and, 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 uh, follow through and know that they'll, uh, take good care of your patient. Um, so it's, I don't, I I would hope it's not different from any other specialty. And what I'm describing is, uh, what I would, what I hope all doctors aspire to, which is to take good care of patients and to, to be trustworthy and to play well in the sandbox with everyone else and recognize that at the end of the day, uh, our, our job is to, to take care of the patients to the best of our ability. And so that's what I, that's what I look for. What opportunities are there to further subspecialize once you're done with your rheumatology fellowship? Um, uh, that's a great question. Not many people do that uh, in our field. Some uh, some people pursued combined training in pediatric rheumatology as well as allergy and immunology uh, if they're more interested in the sort of uh, the genetic diseases, immunodeficiencies, and like the auto-inflammatory syndromes that I referred to. Uh, so that, that happens sometimes. Um, there are some pediatric rheumatologists who uh, gain additional certification in sports medicine uh, or um, certification in ultrasound, um, but those are sort of more certificate-based uh, uh, experiences rather than another fellowship. Yeah. But most pediatric rheumatologists don't don't pursue additional training after their after their fellowship. Mm. For the future pediatrician listening to this, what do you wish they knew about pediatric rheumatology to help them treat their patients and help you better? Uh, I, I I would hope that they know how to find their closest pediatric rheumatologist. Um, you know, for a, a lot of general pediatricians, uh, there there are parts of the country where it's patients have to drive hundreds of miles to, to find a pediatric rheumatologist. And so it's, you know, if pediatricians are practicing in those areas, it's particularly important for them to know how to, you know, know where the pediatric rheumatologists are and how to reach out to them and to know that we're a friendly bunch. Uh, we, we appreciate getting calls from, uh, from general pediatricians asking about patients. Uh, we, you know, we want to help take care of the patients. Uh, the, the sooner, uh, yeah, so for, for instance, for a patient with juvenile arthritis, we know that the sooner we start them on therapy, the better the long-term outcome. Uh, and so we don't like delays in diagnosis. Uh, and so I think if, if pediatricians recognize that and know to reach out when they suspect a rheumatic disease, that's, that's key. But they have to know how to, they have to know to whom to reach out. Are there any other specialties you work the closest with? That, that's a great question. That, that's one of the things I love about rheumatology, actually, is that, like, like I referred to earlier, it's a, um, you know, the diseases we take care of are, are multi-organ uh, diseases, so we really get to interface with almost every other uh, specialty within pediatrics. Um, there, so you know, it's uh, nephrology and pulmonology and cardiology and neurology. Um, 
uh, orthopedics, sports medicine, radiology, uh, psychiatry. It, it's, it really runs the gamut. Um, even neonatology. You know, there are babies born to uh, women with lupus who have, you know, the babies are born with neonatal lupus. So we get involved with with the, the uh, newborn babies even. Uh, so it's, um, again, yeah, yeah, that's what I love about the specialty. I, I get to uh, talk to my colleagues and all these other related specialties. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into pediatric rheumatology? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I feel like I'm constantly learning, uh, which is good. I, I, I think maybe that's it. I, I didn't know if that would be the case or not. You know, I, I worried about other specialties that I thought of where I, I thought, you know, it, it's possible that I'll get to a point where I sort of feel like I have my, my head wrapped around this and there's, there's nothing else to learn. I, I hope that's not the case in other fields, but I, I think what I've been pleasantly surprised by in rheumatology is that the pace of new discovery of new diseases and new therapies, um, and just new thoughts about pathogenesis. And it's, it's just, uh, intellectually stimulating over and over and over. And it, it just doesn't, it doesn't stop. Um, so I, I guess I didn't know if that would be the case going into it. And I've been pleasantly surprised that it is. Any final words of wisdom for the student listening to this or the resident listening to this thinking about pediatric rheumatology? Uh, it's, well, it's, it's a great field. Uh, I, I would say find a, a pediatric rheumatologist uh, if you don't know one already, if you're thinking about it. Uh, find one, reach out to them. We're, again, we are a friendly group. We're, we're trying to attract uh, uh, great people into our field. Uh, and uh, across the board, if you reach out to a pediatric rheumatologist and tell us that you're interested in the field, we will bend over backward to uh, 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 introduce you to the field and nurture you along. So just just uh, make that initial contact. Well, there you have it again, Dr. Bryce Binstadt, pediatric rheumatologist. If you want to find out more about pediatric rheumatology, go to rheumatology.org. Again, that's rheumatology. Dot org. Find the nearest conference, symposium, something to go get involved if it's something you're potentially interested in. Don't forget to follow the Specialty Stories podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So you get these for free every week. And if you're a pre-med student, my newest book just came out yesterday as this episode is coming out. The Pre-Med Playbook Guide to the Medical School Application Process is 350 plus pages of everything that you need to know to get in to medical school. Go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Powell's Books, wherever you buy books and check out the Pre-Med Playbook Guide to the Medical School Application Process. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.